Okay. It says it up in the right-hand corner. Can't get away now. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's Nicole Coley from Coleology. Um, a bunch of you have tuned into some of my podcasts and some of my YouTubes. And today I have Richard Hill, who is in Australia, and he wrote the book, Mirroring Hands. And um, we are going to dive into actually some of what he's doing currently as a therapist in Australia, and then some of his projects that led to writing this book and diving into this book. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Great pleasure. And we just have to highlight uh, the, the Richard Hill wrote the book with the wonderful and most glorious Ernest Rossi. Uh, so yes, so he be there. He be there with me. And, and he has a lot of history. Um, actually, it looked like studying under um, who kind of guides this book. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm so, yeah, no, but, but Ernest, Ernest Rossi is, uh, uh, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would say that he says it, Milton Erickson's uh, principal. Protege, principal student. Uh, in fact, I, I know he did say that because um, uh, uh, Roxana Erickson Klein uh, said this just recently. That uh, uh, when asked who was Erickson's most important student, uh, he said it it, it was uh, a previous guy, uh, David Cheek, and he said, but now it's uh, Ernest Rossi. And so they worked together in the, in the 1970s, and a lot of the most important important books in certainly in, in, in psychotherapy and hypnotherapy, uh, Ernest Rossi and, and, and Milton Erickson. Okay. And how, do you know how they met? Uh, they met, uh, I, I suppose in, in some similar circumstances as to, as to how he and I met in the sense of he heard about him. I mean, well, Rossi heard about Erickson. Erickson was the most famous, uh, you know, probably one of the most famous names. He's probably one of the most famous names that not many people know or they sort of know of, because he didn't uh, he didn't stamp his his name to a particular therapy, um, you know, like a, a a Beck with CBT or an Ellis with REBT and so on and so forth, uh, because quite correctly he said there isn't a therapy. Um, there is simply therapy and the many, many things that we do, uh, of which CBT is one form of things and REBT is another and NLP is another and ACT is another and uh, uh, you know, figuring out how to make acronyms out of therapy is probably another therapy. But um, so they work together and uh, I'm like, just at the moment, I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I'm in charge of, uh, of reviewing the uh, what uh, Ernest and Catherine Rossi and Roxana Erickson Klein have done of the uh, of his collected works, and it's sixteen volumes. So I'm on volume eleven, uh, which so I'm doing this every three or four months. So it takes me several years, but it it's um, and I met Ernest when um, when I went uh, to the. Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference that the Milton Erickson Foundation put on in 2005 because I met uh, a guy named Dan Siegel and another fellow named Luke Cozzolino in Australia. They came and did some stuff. I thought, oh, wow, this is really cool. These guys have just said everything which sort of validated my first book or, or, or one of my earlier books called How the Real World is Driving Us Crazy. 
I went over there and I went to see this lecture by some guy. I was so naive and I was so young, but the, the, it's just 2005. I mean, I was young in, in naive age and I went to see Ernie. He was unbelievable. So was everybody else at the conference. Um, and uh, I began to attach myself to him much to uh, uh, despite the fact that he occasionally tried to shake me off I wouldn't go <laughs> and so I've been going to the Ericsson Foundation conference every year since then and then in the last I don't know, 2007 or 8 I began speaking there uh, amongst many other places and so uh, me and Ernie so I guess I'm one of Ernie's important uh, mentees that's fantastic. And so I'm a blooming therapist. Um, I have my master's and I'm an intern, but I'm also getting my PhD currently. Um, and I actually, this is like maybe off topic a little bit, but I love that you said you attached yourself to someone. I think I'm like looking for that type of attachment and mentor figure. Um, so I'll have to like pick your brain on, even though he tried to shake you off, like how you like ended up. <laughs> well, the, it, it's interesting with the different things. I mean, uh, but, uh, uh, Ernie used to um, go, he used to drive uh, eight hours, uh, often monthly, depending on, on life, sometimes not. And he would spend up to a week with uh, Ericsson and they would investigate a lot of uh, a lot of things together and and it was this detailed investigation of the work that led to some of their books uh, as they went along and I didn't quite have the ability to travel from Australia to America every month but so every year I pack my bags and travel 7,000 miles and go and see Ernie at the conference and I would write and connect with him uh, usually I would wait until I found something really that I thought was so interesting and so special. And I would say, Ernie, I found this paper and this is my, what I feel about it. And he would, uh, for the first few years, write back and say, ah, yes, that paper, uh, that's so-and-so. And this is all the other stuff that goes to it. And then after a few years, he said, that's very interesting, Richard, fantastic work. And so that it developed very slowly um uh, and he's a very private person and so it took a little while and just the other uh, two or three years ago we, we were uh, at the conference and having dinner and i uh, he and i took some plates out there were a dozen people from around the world that that uh, were there to see ernie uh, and we took some plates out to the kitchen and we were putting them down and he turned to me and he said um he said you know you were just so enthusiastic i couldn't turn you away and I, I thought to myself, you could have told me that a few years ago. It would have cheered me up no end. But um, so it's interesting. So true apprenticeship yeah. uh, that comes from persistence, task, and determination, regardless of the, uh, of the, the, the enthusiasm and warmth of the mentor, of which Ernie is beautifully enthusiastic and warm, um, is something that, uh, well, I didn't know. I just did it because that's what I do. But I realised, you know, you think about that old days back with uh, the, the knights and all those stories and they're running around schlepping about. And, and this thing of going to work in a clinic and making the coffee and, and, and sweeping up afterwards and, and, and all this sort of stuff, we've, we've lost that sort of 
I don't know whether it's humility, and I don't know whether I was being terribly humble, but when I look back on it, kind of was, I suppose. And, and I'm glad. I'm glad I did it that way. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, and then I'm really interested. So mirroring hands, I'm, I'm really interested in this um, for several reasons. A, um, I'm a transpersonal and somatic therapist. And so from the somatic aspect, um, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about how um, sitting with a client and using body. And I, I love that you're using like, um, there's a lot of, this is really, okay, so this isn't really in depth. I haven't read it all um, due to all the reading I'm doing with my PhD and I currently moved um, to yeah. Sonoma. And so I've had a lot of transitions, but um, what I'm really loving about this is like you're, you're sitting somatically, but then you're taking like pauses to let implicit material really kind of arise and come to the client um, and inform the client of their um, internal experience and how that kind of like shifts the psyche. And I wondered if you wanted to like speak a little bit more to like what's actually going on. Cause it kind of feels like there's something actually going on, um, on a physiological level. Um, yeah. and also like more about what you're actually doing. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, sometimes it seems like a, uh, you know, sort of like a, it's a weird question and Oh, what are you doing? And I say, well, I do this and here are the 10 steps and there they go. And this is how it goes. Or as you're saying quite nicely there, I'm a somatic and, uh, you know, it's a, actually we're all, all kinds of therapists. In fact, therapy isn't a special thing. Therapy is actually a natural part of life and has been a natural part of life forever. Uh, for as long as human beings have, have have had the capacity to consciously interact. What we've done in the last 200 years is make a business out of it. Okay. And the thing for you is you're naturally inclined and resonate with somatic type of therapies and with the, the, the psychodynamic sort of stuff. So that's exactly where you should go. Uh, and it's really... Uh, like like a uh, like a creative person, uh, for me, I'm I'm quite artistic as well. That was my early career. Uh, I was an actor uh, in my early career. F fantastic training for being a psychotherapist. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't have to understand the capacity of the many cells within us because I've been many cells, uh, and yeah. that was great. You know, so I know what it's like to be crazy. Hell, I've played Hamlet. You know. Uh, <laughs> And it's kind of like that. You know, you can find those things in you. And the, the essence of, of what this therapy is about, the mirroring hands. And when I do my workshops, now I open it up. I'm saying, I'm going to teach you a technique, sure. I'm going to teach you some therapeutic processes, sure. But this isn't just a therapy. This is a way of being. This is a way of connecting with the nature of, uh, of how life is uh, lived and the thing that we've we've lost is the interconnection the integration now I also work and, and was attracted to Dan Siegel with interpersonal neurobiology and I'm the um, I'm the president of the of the the global practitioners association gains 
in there because it's about integrating. It's about a lot of things. So when you talk about the somatic, all therapy is somatic. Right. All therapy is psychodynamic. We just lean one way and towards the other. The real thing that we uh, have to learn, which I spend uh, an important early chapter on the book in, is the nature of, of uh, the way we are a part of a complex system. And that systems theory, complex systems, and we explain it in such a way that it's really easy to understand. Uh, and I've had lots and lots of people who've been looking with Ernie and looking with different people who say, oh, Richard, that was, yeah, I get it. That's cool. I like that. Thank you. Uh, but just breaking it down and understanding. But fundamentally, what mirroring hands is about as a therapy is the 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 pure expression of what Erickson said is that therapy is not achieved by the therapist. Therapy is achieved by the client within themselves. Yeah. And the therapist enables and facilitates and is a tool uh, for the client to do so. That's, of course, not how therapy is organized. Therapy is where someone who's busted comes to you and you fix them. Uh, both their expectation is that they're busted and you'll fix them. And to some extent, the therapist sits there saying, how can I fix this client? And a lot of the, the shift, to shift yourself, and as Erickson said, to shift the burden of responsibility for effective therapy back to the client. And if the client is working and is having activity and something's going on, we should shut up and get out of the way. Yes. If they ask for a prod, if they ask for an assistance, then, and they ask in many, many ways, they ask uh, both, uh, uh, you know, sensor, uh, logically and verbally, but also sensorially, uh, then we respond and we interact with them in order to help them get along. Our system is naturally organized towards being well. Yes. And it's so extraordinary. I, I do a very simple thing in the book to describe, and I was even, I was pleased with the way I wrote it. Um, <laughs> and I just said, um, uh, and of course, this book is written under Ernie's uh, 10 years, I mean, his 40 years of experience and my 10 years, 10 more years of experience with him. But I did write the book, and he said that. That's why he said, You have your name first. Uh, but of course, you're using my stuff. And we used a lot of a conversation uh, as a framework that yeah. we did. But I just said, a client comes to you saying, I'm not okay. All right. And you sit there and say, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to use this therapy to fix you. <laughs> anyway, uh, we do. Uh, and then they do stuff, and we do stuff for a while. And uh, the client will say, I'm okay now. And here's the question Have you ever asked, and have you ever heard anybody ask? How does the client know? It's such a simple question. How does somebody know they're not okay? And how do they know they are okay? Clearly, there must be some internal, non, uh, both conscious and non-conscious, engaged framework of, of elements that all come together and get into a flow that enables someone to have the realization that they're okay. Yeah. Now let me just simplify it a little bit more, make it a little bit more accessible. Three times a day, you have an experience that takes about an hour to an hour and a half to generate. 
there's about 30 or 40 different processes, everything from hormone and peptidal changes, bloodstream changes, biological rearrangements uh, in, in various parts, neurobiological behaviors and the thalamus and distributions through things and responses <laughs> and triggers that eventually builds up to something that is emotionally relevant enough, and we only have consciousness of what is emotionally relevant enough, which is only about 10 to 20% of what's actually going on. And we say, in the most beautifully deep and, and complex way, on a conscious level, we say, I'm hungry. <laughs> That's it. Hour and a half of stuff, 30 to 40 different deep molecular complexes. We then just say, I'm, we don't even say, I'm hungry for two milligrams of vitamin B6, so three milligrams of, we just say, I'm hungry. And in fact, sometimes we don't even say, I'm hungry. What we do is we find ourselves standing in front of an open fridge, looking into <laughs> it, going, oh. So we've actually somatically expressed that urge, that demand. Uh, <laughs> Because they, they, they do say that we, we evolved, our stomach evolved a brain in order to get us to move towards food, uh, our brain and our body in order to move towards food. And so we now have lots about the gut-brain connection, which is just like, duh. Um, of course, we have now we're just understanding it. So if you give the body the, the right opportunity, if you give it the appropriate circumstances and the appropriate um, feedback and the appropriate stuff to flow through it, it will naturally move towards healing and well-being. It's the way we're organized. It's the, it's the organizing principle. What we do is we get things that interrupt, like, you know, those beautiful birds that are, you, you see the thousands of birds and they're all flowing around. It's like, a, it's like, who's leading this? Who's the head bird? Nobody. Yeah. The system organizes itself. And the birds split off and come back together. Why they're splitting off is because there's hawks and falcons that are jumping in there trying to chew them up. And then you have various things that we're attracted to and various things that attract us in a negative way. So we get fixed attractions like depression or past traumas. We get cyclic attractors, uh, which, which give us sort of OCD type of things. And you can explain almost all of the therapeutic process, both negatively and positively, in this idea of systems. And when you think in the system, then you let go of your, the pressure on you to be the hero or the heroine. And you realize that you're, you're part of something. No, I love the way you're reframing this for me personally. <laughs> Because not only am I a therapist, I also go to therapy. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, we're part of a system. I'm, I'm kind of like processing all that. We're, we're, we're in a system. Yeah. Right. That's right. We're in it. And we're part we're of it. Yeah. responsible for it. And it's all kind of like um, we're dancing to it. And there's really no leader. And our system wants to be well um so i'm i'm trying to think of like i'm just trying to think of like times in my life because like i come so i'm a wounded healer yeah. um, 
And so I come from complex developmental trauma. I have a really high ACE score. I'm sure you're familiar with the ACEs score. Yep. And um, so um, I'm kind of thinking like sometimes I know I'm well. This this question that you ask, like, how do you know you're well or how do you know you're not well, right? Like there's been times I'm like, I, I just am fine. And then mm. there's been times I'm just like not. <laughs> That's right. And so you're kind of talking like from a transpersonal place, you're, you're talking about like um, trusting in the process, right? Mm. I mean, something to that extent, right? Um, and it's like interwoven in these complex systems. So I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you could say more as a therapist sitting with a client and more about this, like more in detail of, I'm sure what this book goes into, like what that means in guiding. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, it's extraordinary when uh, you look at Erickson, who was saying all this stuff in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, and then really brought into uh, uh, public awareness through more, more books and things with Ernie in the 70s. And, and we've had this flurry in the, in the, the 90s and 2000s to, to find the magic bullet. Because it was really around the 60s, 1960s, when, when um, antibiotics came along, that we shifted our frame of thinking into really believing that we could have single causes and magic bullets that cured them. And this idea of just this cause and effect, this simple, I do this, you do this, you get better, you do this, you get stronger, you do that, you take off weight, you do the other thing, you give up smoking, you do this, you get over mental disease. Uh, and it's, it's, in small circumstances and in, in, in isolated spaces, that's true, but it's just not true. Uh, and we go through, I mean, one of the things that we talk about also was the natural cycles and rhythms. Right. So it's absolutely natural when you get new information to spend a period of time uncomfortable with that new information because you're trying to figure out what that new information has to do with you. Mm, and then you get it. And so, oh, wow, this is fantastic. You know, I mean, there, I'm sure there are times when you're not feeling right. And the part of your mind is, is going, uh, not even consciously, it's going, hey, let's check our history. Let's check, are we, are we having a traumatic thing? Are we having things? And another part of your body and mind in the process is going, I, you know, have we eaten enough? Are we on the right diet? Another part is going, what's our exercise program? Are we doing the right exercise? Are we getting sloppy and we're getting sludgy? Another part is saying, hey, have we slept enough? And so on and so forth. And sometimes <laughs> you're sitting there thinking, Oh my God! I'm having all these terrible things. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm a ruin. Uh, nobody loves me. I, uh, and all these negative inner voices are having their, their okay. field day. And actually, you're just not getting enough sleep. <laughs> right. And the cascade within your system from being sleep deprived affects mm. all these things. Right. And yes, your traumas are going to become. Uh, I, I got to get pinched and prodded, and and the biology of it. I mean, Ernie's book in nineteen two thousand and two, which is one of the first ones, the psychobiology of gene expression. Uh, I mean, where is, we're we're just talking about stuff now that Ernie was talking about twenty thirty years ago, and even some of the stuff I was talking about that I didn't know was clever 
but actually has turned out to be quite, I'm thinking, oh, wow. But this idea you're getting back, I don't want to sort of lose it because it was really important. This idea of holding the space, of sitting with a client in, uh, in a space actually not, um, from the therapist's point of view, actively doing anything, right. but just allowing the client to be. Right. It's a beautiful and most important thing. Now, the, the issue that, that can come with that, and I think the difficulty that we've had in the rise of this idea, this rise of, of, of mindfulness, which is really great, but the rise of holding the space, Bonnie Badnock, my, my good friend too, uh, I, I, I just make, I'm Australian, they make friends with people. I now am friends with Nicole. No, no, you guys do. I've been to Australia and everybody, it was so awesome. I love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, we, we sort of latch on and do things. But, uh, you know, holding the space, which we talk about so beautifully. And these things are important. But what we talk about, a little bit more beyond all these things that only and I talk about, the really important place is the growing edge. Okay. Is the space, once you've got yourself settled and comfortable, once you've, you've eased the distress so that you're then able to, to move, move forward in space, then you need to actually get curious and you need to, to have focus your attention and you need to move forward into the area of the, of the unknown hopefully in the right circumstances so that you move towards healing. Yeah, uh, okay. Which so is the idea. Saying, so could you um, say more about the right circumstances? Yeah. And the right circumstances uh, really are those three. To get into what I call a therapeutic mindset, you need to have your focus of attention so you need to be in, in the space. So that's what holding the space and mindfulness is, is, does so beautifully. You need to be curious. And this is actually my principal work on curiosity. In the book, we've got a, uh, I talk about it. But in the back bit where, you know, the appendix where no one ever goes, but they really should. So Ernie does a paper on quantum physics and some of the way we do it. I do a paper on uh, discussing the nature of curiosity and look at that, the nuches, the, the nuches nuclei. Um, I, actually, I actually had that marked because I'm curious about it because I love curiosity. Uh, curiosity, the, 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 what I'm positing and what a lot of other people have said, but curiosity, and I think it's quite broad, it's not just information, it's not just wanting to know stuff, that's one right. part of curiosity. We're also, we're also curious to, for serendipity and the way in which we, uh, we discover new things through serendipity is play and we're also curious for what it means to us so we have curiosity for meaning and that meaning gives us new possibilities so curiosity sits on three pillars information play and possibility play okay okay so can we talk a little bit more about play and the reason why i kind of want to go there is um uh, so in my PhD program, um, it's built on the principle of being able, like there's acting involved, there's play involved, invoking play because they talk about that helping with um, your more rigid structures. Yes. Um, and uh, 
I'm very interested in it for several reasons. Not actually because I think it's my growth edge because it doesn't come natural to me. I think people with trauma, um, developmental trauma, didn't have a lot of play involved. Um, yes, you have barriers and, and restraints and interruptions. Right. That's right. And, and just like, you know, all the things that come along with that. Um, so it's a growth edge for, for, for me to play and mm. to be able to be comfortable in that and land in that. And so I'm wondering, because I love curiosity, but I haven't um, put curiosity and play together at all. I mean, they've not serendipity, yes, um, but not play. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more about that. Oh, love to. Okay. Play is the, when you say, what are, what are the conditions? What are these conditions I talk about? This one, play is the, the ideal expression of the appropriate initial conditions, the, the starting point, the framework, the bed that you stand on for a system to self-organize. In fact, that's what play is. Play is a self-organizing system. Now, things like sport, like going and playing football and things, that's playing, but it's not play. Play is unregulated, unsupervised, undirected, and spontaneous Interesting. and we're doing it right now we've yeah. been playing as we've been going along and you've had absolutely no difficulty in this conversation that's not structured it's not organized well, we have some frameworks sure um yeah. you know like like if you say to a kid there's the field yeah don't go don't go over the outside the field because you know, there's the, the, the there's, that's dangerous. There's the roads and things. Here's a ball. Uh, see you later. <laughs> and you've got 20 kids. You don't have to do anything. Off they'll go. Now, of course, I know people saying, oh, God, then there'll be fights and there'll be all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all these sorts of things from these fixed attractors and negative uh, feedbacks and, and all the things. But when it's ideal, there's a little clip that I use of four or five kids in a, in a neighborhood and they've been, uh, their parents have been raking up the leaves. And these kids are just going bonkers bananas in these leaves. And, um, and there's one kid and you can see he's, he's kind of got this, just a minute, I'm not in charge. What, what are you all doing? And these kids are just wah, wah, throwing leaves all over the place. And his trauma, his um, uh, regulation, his demands were going along. And finally he breaks and he picks up a cardboard box and he puts it on his head and he starts roaming around the yard. And you're watching this film and you think, you're going you're gonna to walk into a tree in a minute, kid. But how fascinating as a therapist. Here's this kid who needed to be in charge in order to maintain his sense of safety. Here was these kids having fun and his insides knew he wanted to let go. Yeah. So he covered his head. He yeah. covered his brain. He covered his neuroses. He covered his trauma. And for a moment, his body was simply able to exist in unregulated play. Yeah, that's cool. And I'm sure it was therapeutic. Yeah. So this idea of curiosity so what is curiosity and if you think about it curiosity requires you to be less fearful 
because mm. it's a forward moving thing. So you can't be fearful and be curious. So therefore your, 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 your fears, whatever your, your negative inner voices are, they have to quieten and your trauma, your post-traumatic issues, they have to quieten in order for you to be curious. Yeah. You also need to be focused. Uh, your attention needs to be focused and interested. You need to be interested to be curious. You can't be curious if you're not interested. You also uh, need to have a sense of positive anticipation that this is, this is going somewhere. And you also need to feel good about it. So you take a, you do a little bit of play, uh, you do a little bit of something, and it's, you get a good. So this is why my suggestion is that when you are curious, and this is something, so therefore play and curiosity, they're not, I don't, you don't introduce curiosity and play. You don't separate play from curiosity. They are they're the one thing. They're elements of life. Yeah. And when I look at kids playing, I can see curiosity. I can see in the, the ones, I can see trauma. What we do is none of it is separate. All of it is there. What it is is it's not so much, oh, I never thought of curiosity and play. Oh, I never saw, I never saw it. Yeah. Now I'm starting yeah. to see it because the interesting thing is for you to be less fearful, you need to produce an appropriate uh, uh, mix of serotonin. For you to be positively anticipating, you need to have an appropriate level of dopamine. For you to have focused attention, you need to have an appropriate level of norepinephrine and noradrenaline and, um, and uh, acetylcholine. For you to feel, uh, uh, get a positive reward, you need to have an appropriate level of uh, your endomorphins, your endocephalins. For you to feel connected to others as you're playing, you need to have an appropriate level of oxytocin. So when we're talking about brain chemical balance, yeah. curiosity is the most ideal state for your brain to have the, the most ideal chemical balance at the time. You can't be depressed when you're curious. You can't be angry when you're curious. You can't be fearful when you're curious yeah. or afraid. Yeah. So that is the perfect state you're, you're for therapy. Like I'm sorry, go ahead. Say what you no, no, said. finished. No, you you are like, you're making me like, okay, so you've dropped me into a deeper level of me being <laughs> curious about myself. Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is like super interesting because I'm thinking like, oh, I'm really curious. Like right now I'm super curious and I'm open and you like reframe that this is playful and it is playful Um, and I am playing, I just traditionally didn't like label it playing. That's um, right, yeah. And, and it is. And then I'm like also thinking about all these um, systems that are going on and as conscious as I want to be in, in this world, right? How many unconscious things, regardless of how conscious I want to be, are like happening? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And then um, this other level of like where I lose curiosity and like because I like um, make meaning of curiosity and it's like a way that my ego's attached to something positive in my life, all the places that I lose this curiosity, like when I'm engaging in certain um, realms of my life. And it's, it's uh, yeah, this is really interesting. This is like something to look at and bring in more in my mm. life. Um, outside of the therapeutic 
realm, right? Mm. This is good. And this, and so what, and, and in that, we used to say that beautiful thing, traditionally, you know, we label. Yes. In this literal, uh, causal, Newtonian type of, of uh, linear thinking, we label. But what are we doing? We're actually not, when we label something, that doesn't make it exist. Yeah. When we label something, it means we noticed it. Hmm. And this is where uh, linear thinking, you know, education is all about this. It's, right. you know, look for the thing that's going to make it all okay. There was a beautiful word you used before when you just sort of slipped in. It's a natural thing, absolutely perfectly natural and, and reasonable. Where you said uh, something and, and then you're responsible for, for that. And that was just, just the word responsible dropped in. But it was the way in which we use responsible. Respons there's a bunch of words that I talk about that have been hijacked from us. And responsible is one of them. The winner-loser world, this, um, which is that, that first book of mine I, I talk about. But this, this world of external expectation and this world uh, of that says that when you're responsible, people don't like being responsible. Being responsible is 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 arduous and it's a burden because if you're responsible, then you potentially are at fault and to blame. And in fact, if you're responsible, it's like a you have to pay. It's like a it's like a um, you have to sacrifice things. But that's not what responsible is. Responsible is the most one of the most beautiful words in the, in the language. It's all about your ability to respond. Not your ability to control, not your ability to be uh, dumped on, not your, uh, not your thing. It's just something happens. How do I respond to that? So here, when you're talking about what are the things that we do in therapy and what are the conditions, we increase the uh, client's skill set to be able to respond, but we also open up their access to their skill set in order to respond. And one of their skill sets that they have in order to respond is a complex system that is oriented towards being well. Yeah. So yeah. being curious, being curious is a way of life. It is a way of being. It certainly is something that we can turn on. We seem to turn on and off. But if you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, I'm awake. Cool. I wonder what's going to happen today. Oh, this could be interesting. Off we go. Uh, let's go see. Let's go see. And some people find me a bit annoying, but honest to God, I'm interested in everything all the time. That doesn't mean I'm wandering around going, ah, blah, but I'm always looking for, uh, I'm always open for what's going on. And when I miss stuff, when I'm flat, I go, oh, Richard, you're not being very interesting. And I go, oh, that's interesting. And my little curiosity approach, which I talk about in the book there, we've got a chapter on curiosity of the win or loser world, is if you, in everything in life, say, first of all, that's interesting. So turn on the curious mind as best you can, even if it's just a little dribble. Then realize that everything is a representation or a surface representation of, of stuff. Your conscious awareness is like, I'm hungry. You don't know what the ingredients are. You've got to go out and explore. And the one that we don't 
do and that we've given away because we say it's frivolous and pointless because you're not being responsible and you're not being um, serious this is what do I create with this and that is how you get play so are you pointing to uh, being a part like of the complex system and not being in control but like doing the dance that emerges yeah curiosity is the actual like kind of key ingredient to the like self healing um, trajectory of wellness yes yeah so the the therapeutic state is to establish focused attention stimulate your curiosity and have a sense of nascent possibility and nascent is a is a great word to use because it makes you look clever because not a lot of people use it and they go, oh, he must be clever. He said nascent. Um, but actually, it's just, it, I looked around, uh, and I use it in another thing, what I call the harmony scale. There's another story. Uh, we won't go there for, for now. But nascent is just um, that sense of future possibility, that, that, that there's, there's a, a, the future's a good place to go. Yeah. Of course, if you're depressed, you have no nascent possibility yeah. because that's the whole point of depression is you don't have you don't have a future um if you have anxiety you're you don't have nascent possibility you have nascent fear you have a, a fear of the future yeah. Yeah. um and uh, uh so these things that hold us into spaces if you have if you have past trauma uh i mean I wrote a, a, a book chapter. We just reviewed that and revived that in a magazine that I'm the editor of called The Neuropsychotherapist. And it was on post-traumatic growth. We're supposed to have traumas through our lives. Yes. And from those traumas, it is the, it is the, the, the system is organized so that those traumas become learning, uh, learning processes. Now, the reality is that not all traumas do move into learning and they become stuck. They become fixed in our system and then they, they express themselves through post-traumatic uh, 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 behaviours. They express themselves through stuck behaviours. And, and the I most... Know, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. And I know that um, you spoke to being really secure in all the different senses of self because you were an actor before. And I can't remember if that was um, when we were recording or not. So, um, Oh yeah, it was, yeah, it was while we were recording. So I'm kind of, um, and, and I know that we're also getting to time. So I want to be, mindful oh, yeah. of that as well. um, but I'm also thinking something about, um, a, I want to read your other books. B, I was reading this article, uh, that you wrote, um, C, I would love to um, know of the other things that you're doing in the world because you're doing a lot of great work. Um, I feel very honored to have time with you today. And I'm thinking about the more we get to know these different ego states and aspects of self, um, trauma and these places where there's like a continuum of it being more fixed or more fluid, um, I'm wondering how much gets because there's like 
state specific things that happen. Um, I'm still playing around with the idea of like, cause sometimes I feel like I'm much more in my trauma and then sometimes I'm feeling like, oh, I'm really free from it. And I'm also realizing it's state specific and I'm wondering how much um, I've identified myself with these aspects that emerge and these like different ego states that live within me and how play could maybe like playing curiosity can help me be free some of these structures up and you you have me like yeah. with a lot of wonderful things synchronistically because this is also okay yeah, it fits like, in and it and it is and it's a struggle and i'll try and i'll also give a little bit more about the actual mirroring hands process too which is quite handy because that's kind of what the book is is, is titled uh, yes. and so this this i mean you're the the sort of beautiful therapist that i want in in my workshop room so that i can just pull all the walls down and and around on the side so um exactly right this state oh, uh, ernie again is a beautiful thing, state dependent memory learning and behavior in certain states we have certain memories we're more inclined to have those memories uh yeah so what do you create with that? So I'm in this state now and I'm having a, a, a traumatic uh, memory. I'm having a stuck. I'm feeling really bad. That's interesting. What's that really all about? What's more to this? What's more? And what do I create with it? And that's what we don't do. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do the third thing. Sorry. You create yeah. a reenactment, of course. That's what we tend to do in the fixed thing. No, what we do is is a is a re in short of our moving it to the growing edge. Yeah. What we do is we get a reenactment, and we re-traumatize. Yeah. As different from going, look at what I'm doing. And so, as a therapist, we go along to a therapist and we say, and as I've got a lovely client at, at the moment, and she's beautifully uh, somatic and visual, and uh, she says, oh, I'm. I'm seeing myself on the beach uh, with and a couple of other things she says. And I go, wonderful. Mm. And then I shut up. Yeah. As different from what I'm trained to do is to say, that's wonderful. Could you tell me more about your beach? And, um, and I think you're, there's I a lovely. I highlighted that let's be quiet about th this for a couple of minutes. Like you, you, there's a bunch of um, places where you state the yeah. being quiet with what's emerging. On the basis that the, that the, the client is working, as long as they're working, uh, then, then that's, that's terrific. So these, uh, these movements in and out of states are not good things or bad things. They are the natural flow and emergent uh, properties that are occurring as the system revolves around. So as you, if you sort of get into the thinking in the system, you'll sit there uh, and that's a useful tool because you might sit there and go, okay, I'm having a, I'm feeling really um, affected on from this trauma. I know the process because I've had it before. So what, is the attractor? What's the perturbator? What's the trigger? What's going on here? Why? How is this helping me? When someone comes to me and says, uh, "You know, I'm depressed," I go, "Fantastic!" <laughs> you, there's so much information that you're giving us uh, uh, and indicators that there's a whole bunch of things inside you that want to be worked on. So we treat. 
we treat mental disturbance as a problem. No, it's not. It's a message. Yeah. Uh, and it's so fascinating with mirroring hands. Uh, and there's lots of ways we do this. We do we do this. We do the the focusing attention, being curious, and uh, uh, creating nascent attention in almost all rapport. If you if you get good rapport with a client, then that's what you've done. And if you go back and look, and uh, you'll see that you've done that in mirroring hands, which kind of comes out of the, that world of hypnosis. But Ernie says it beautifully. It's hypnosis without the hypnosis. But if you just simply, and just do this now with me, if you look at your hands and just look at your hands actually with, a, with an attention that you've never looked at them before, just ever so quickly, just, oh, well, I always get fascinated by how many more wrinkles there are <laughs> as, I, as I get older. That bit of jewellery, those fingers, it's so fascinating. And everybody who's listening, just look at your hands. And now I wonder if one of those hands just, I wonder if it might feel a little heavier or perhaps a, a little cooler than the other. And if you just sit there and ask that hand that's cooler or heavier to give a little wiggle, not with your brain, just with your hand. Did you notice one hand do that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. So in, in 20 seconds, I focused your attention. I've stimulated your curiosity. And I've given you a sense of possibility that there's something inside you that knows what it's doing, that you don't need to have to use your conscious brain where you have all the stuff that you don't like <laughs> to interrupt. So, of course, it's much longer than that. But I might then say, well, I wonder that problem that you've got, that issue. And I don't even have to know what the issue is. I wonder if you want to put that out into that heavy hand, that one, or whether it wants to go into the other hand. Now, I don't know where you wanted, what you want to do, but, and I wonder as you do that, we won't proceed because otherwise we'll get into a therapy. We have got enough time. <laughs> but I have clients and they put this stuff out and then the, the, it starts to take shape. It starts to take different colors. Now, as a somatic therapist, you do that quite often. But what we do is we say, where is that problem occurring in your body? What we don't say is, I wonder where that problem might be expressing itself in your body. Will you notice it somehow? Will you do something that helps or? And what I just did then is the most difficult thing to teach therapists. And that's the incomplete sentence where I don't tell you what I think, even yeah. though I do. You've just been talking to me for 20 minutes and I say, oh, Nicole, well, I actually really care about you and I've really listened sensitively and I'm feeling that you're a little anxious at the moment. Yeah. Now, that's a beautiful thing to say. It's caring. But I have just told you you're anxious. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, well, I wasn't anxious, actually, uh, but you're an expert, so I probably am. Okay, wow. Or I was a little bit anxious, but I didn't think it was that obvious. I better get more anxious to, to satisfy. But if I just said, 
Nicole, I've been listening to you and I really feel and I've got a lot of ideas about how you're feeling. And I wonder if you're mm. – and in that pause, 99 times out of 100, you'll fill it and you'll say, oh, actually, Richard, I had a big coffee before and I'm kind of a bit keen to go to the bathroom. And I say, oh, geez, I'm so glad I didn't say you're anxious because actually you're just agitated because because your bladder's full. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't an idiot and ruined everything by being a clever therapist. Yeah. And it can be as simple as that. A client might come in the week after uh, a therapy session and say, oh, I had a breakthrough this week. It was amazing. And so as a therapist, you say, oh, and what was it that I did uh, that we did together? And they say, Oh, we, oh, that's right. Yeah, we were doing something to do with um, uh, our, our beliefs. But actually behind you, there's a bunch of flowers and you were going on. It was really interesting. But in those flowers, there's one that's yellow and it was different than all the other ones. And I had a dream about yellow flowers and suddenly my problem, thing, and I had a blue. Oh, it was a fabulous realization. Thank you so much for helping me, uh, uh, you know, doctor, therapist. Actually, you did nothing other than create a presence, a state right. of being, a field of curiosity and safety. You know, do you, uh, are you familiar with organic intelligence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so like some of, that's how I got um, trained in somatic experiencing, uh, was through Steve, who does organic intelligence, and there's some or overlapping processes here. Yeah, and here's the trouble with what I'm saying is you have to go out and learn everything, particularly everything that interests you because organic, um, organic stuff that Steve did, sure, that's there. Yeah. Wasn't he wonderful to notice it and pull it out and draw it to our attention? Yeah. What we do in therapy is we pull it out, draw it to our attention, put a box around it and call our name on it and charge you 20 bucks to use it. Mm. Now, as an actor, we would pull a scene out of a play quite often and we would work that scene and actually in systems theory uh, Prigidine talked about this you differentiate in order to explore the possibilities of the element that allow those to emerge okay. but as an actor I would never dream to then take that scene on the road I put that scene back into the play and I, I let the new possibilities and richness of that scene re-enrich the whole system but we don't in therapy. You say, you fixed your beliefs now. I've used CBT. You're cured. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the person goes away and says, oh, yes, but my leg still gets numb on a Wednesday night. <laughs> and the somatic therapist says, oh, no, 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 no. I'll work on that now. Uh, and I'll get that. And we find that on Wednesday nights, there was this thing where they had the dog used to sleep on their leg. and Or that was when the whatever, you know. And they fix that. And that's great. And then they say, oh, wow, my beliefs are cool. And my legs, I think. Oh, but I still get this funny uh, digestive problem on, uh, you know, as different from, you know, who's telling us what therapy to give them? The client. Yes. The client comes in and says, I'm depressed. Yes. They're asking us to give them uh, some kind of therapy that enables them to see a future. Yeah. Yes. Someone comes in and so... So how do you do that as a therapist? Well, you love this psychodynamic, this, um, this uh, 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 somatic, psychosomatic stuff. 
and you utilize that as your principal tool. But I tell you, I've had clients, I remember one client, and she just one week brought in all this artwork and said, look at this, and they were actually just big black splodges anyway. I ended up being an art therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't. I ended up facilitating yeah. artistic, what somebody calls art therapy, and I just facilitated with another person. I do something else. I invent therapies. Yeah, you, you. Um, I remember you know? reading something um, that you spoke to that, like you, we as therapists are um, in in this book. You say that somewhere that we are actually speaking to what's emerging with them in mm. their words their terminology so we can like help them where they are basically i can't i underline oh, it's, a, it's but that's okay but it's in the language in the language systems we spend a lot of time uh not trying to speak when you're using the mirror hands process and this doesn't mean that i don't do cbt and i don't do act and i don't do i just don't do them directively i do them responsively to the client and I, uh, I've had, and I'll give you a quick example in a minute, but, um, but this idea that uh, you just respond to what the client is, is asking for you. And so we use very little language and very often just the language of the client. They'll go, they might sit there and they might breathe a bit more deeply. And you go, ah, oh, beautiful deep breath. Do continue with that. And my favorite line that we have during the mirroring hands, when they do get deeply into their own engagement, and the reason why we use them in the hands is because that sends it out of the body so we don't re-traumatize. That's just a quick thing. It's more complex than that. But that's a really important thing, to get the reenactment out of the inner self. Ooh, and that's that. so that's what's really important about it. So when you were sitting there looking at your hand and I'm saying putting my problem in the hand, you had no difficulty doing that. Whereas I if I say, I yeah. didn't, like, as soon as you said it, I did, and it already did take shape, and then you said, well, we would mm. get into a therapy process. Yeah, we don't. And, Whereas and if I say, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if I say, tell me about your stuff, let's have a look at that, and let's hold that space, you could be real careful, and you need to be very skillful, and Bonnie is very skillful, so she does it right, and she knows how to keep it safe. But this almost always keeps it safe. Right, right. Well, but it, I, and, it, I and it doesn't. It's brilliant. It's brilliant yeah. and it's work. And I'm like looking forward to like really um, reading this and mulling yep. over like in detail because I think it's something I will definitely utilize. And um, do you have a website you would like to let? Uh, yes, it's very complex. It's richardhill.com.au. Because, yeah, because everybody else in the world has to be extra. But uh, so richardhill.com.au, you can actually read the introduction to the book, which is, gives a gives an extraordinary therapy where I had a walk-in who just came in and said, I've seen everybody. I'm, I'm just going to see my second psychiatrist. I've read everything. I know everything. Uh, you say you do brain training. I'll come back. I'll give you 60 minutes. <laughs> Anyway, so she basically said, there's no therapy that you could do for me that's going to do me any good. I used mirroring hands because she was using her hands. So I just spontaneously worked. And eventually, when you've done this for quite a few years, you know how to improvise with it. And she revealed stuff to herself about what was going on 
that she'd never done before in all these years of everything. Uh, she gave me my money. She stayed an extra six, an extra thirty minutes after the the uh, more than the sixty. I never saw her again. Weird, but wonderful. Weird but <laughs> wonderful. Thera being a therapist is a, is a weird but wonderful thing, and our greatest difficulty is thinking that we're separate, but we're not. As soon as that client walks in the room, you and and a dance, as you put, and everything you add flows and feeds back around the system. Yes. And if you just add the stuff that the client needs, mm -hmm. then you will get in the way very rarely. Sometimes you don't and you create an enactment and you do all kinds of stuff and that's cool. But even that's informative and uh, 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 can help you learn. Wow, that's interesting. I just did something that really upset you. What's that all about? Oh, I see. It's doing some of my stuff. Oh, okay. Wow. But what can we create with that? <laughs> well, I like, I just, uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your dedication. It's my, it's my curiosity. I know. And I, <laughs> I know. And I appreciate you kind of um, aliving that in me and other places. Like, I feel, I feel like a fire to like look at things in a different light. Um, and I appreciate that. That feels good. And um, thank you also to Ernest Rossi. Um, and Ernie, yeah. yeah. And I, I know you asked me to talk a bit more about myself, but I, I kind of, it was less important. Go look at my website. It's, it says, well, look at Richard. He's really interesting. So, so that's <laughs> fantastic. Well, you are. <laughs> you are. Now, I mean, I really feel like we could probably talk for hours because I have like, just like my some of the things that you're saying, I'm just like, I could go in there. I can go in there. I can go in there. There's so many entry, entry points. <laughs> yeah. And to, um, go ahead. I was just say, yes, this, this book is, is years, decade in the making. Uh, and it's an emergent quality and property from Ernie and me. And uh, he blessed me with adding to it. Uh, and, I, and I say this to everybody because Ernie said this to me at the end of his emails, be better than me because you in your fullness are extraordinary. Wow. That makes me, that's like, I'm feeling tears come to my eyes. That's so gorgeous. That's wow. What a gift, right? Mm. Yeah. Really and I pass it, I pass it forward. Yeah, thanks. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. I've enjoyed our time. Fortunate to have this time with you. Thank you. And um, are you going back to bed? Because you're. Yes, in, 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 in about um, it was four o'clock now, which is great. So, in about uh, six hours, I, I'm doing a, a workshop. So, I do. Oh. So certificate one. So the mirroring hands, we are, and we'll be rolling out workshops through North America next year, we hope. So be good. And I hope that you come here. If you come to the United States, I would love to see you. Me, personally. I'm, I'm coming. Okay. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much. Okay.